What's up, everyone? My name is B, and you are listening to the Brand Eye Podcast. This podcast talks about navigating our 20-somethings, the good, the bad, and the ugly parts of our journeys, and learning to embrace every part of your story, because your life is your brand, and so many people would benefit from just seeing you live authentically. No one has all of the answers. We're all trying to figure it out. This week, I'm going to share a little bit about who I am and what led me to start this podcast um, and the reasoning behind Brandi. My name is Brandy, and I am a 26-year-old going on 27. I am a true African-American. My father is Nigerian, and my mother was a Black American. While some of these characteristics seem pretty frivolous, the way that I explain them, they play a big role in my life and the reason for this podcast. I grew up in Bloomington, Indiana, a college town that was predominantly white as well. I had the opportunity to go to a very diverse elementary school, but there still weren't very many black students in any of the social spaces that I hung out in. And that wasn't intentional on my parents' part. Rather, that was just the norm. I went to church, and it was a predominantly black church, so I was able to engage with peers that looked like me, but still, I didn't always feel accepted because my experiences weren't the quote-unquote traditional black experience. Growing up in a household where my parents had two very different cultures, I'm the product of that. So as a black person, I haven't seen a lot of the classic black movies like Baby Boy or Boys in the Hood, but I also am not familiar with a lot of the classic things that are part of my father's culture. I only have bits and pieces. So not only did I feel marginalized among my white peers, but also I didn't necessarily feel like I had a safe space or a space that was comfortable for me within the black community or the Nigerian community and even the Nigerian American community. I'm the youngest of four and my siblings, I adore them. I really look up to them and I always have. That's been the norm because my siblings seem to have a lot of things that I didn't have. They had talents that I didn't have. They were very athletic, very intelligent, very popular social beings. And for me, I was a butterball. (laughs) I was good at soccer for a short period of time, even though that was our family sport. We weren't allowed to grow up in the household without having touched a soccer ball or joined a soccer team. And I peaked at a very early age. And oftentimes, making a lot of the teams, like the A-team or the travel team, had to do more with my name and less about my talent. But it was hard when people realized that I didn't live up to my family name in that way because they would put me on the soccer field and I did not perform in the way that my siblings did or I was not a product of my father's very successful coaching practices. And I took great shame in that. But it also caused a lot of tension between my father and I because when I look back now, I think both of us failed to understand where the other one was coming from. 
But that also plays into the cultural differences. Because the way that my father was raised and the way that he was taught to provide feedback and honesty about my health and my performance and all of that was very different than the way that I was raised. So the word fat is not one that I've known to be a very good word or nice or friendly or socially acceptable. However, that was a word that my father used when describing me or telling me I needed to lose weight. But not because he's a bad man or because he didn't love me, but that's because that's how he was raised. And that wasn't necessarily the norm in my house, but it wasn't taboo because my mom wasn't raised like that, but my father was. That's just an example of some of the cultural differences or even my name. When a lot, when I meet Nigerians and I tell them that my father is Nigerian, sometimes they don't believe me or they look at me funny because my name is not a traditional Nigerian name. But then when a black American hears my name, they look at me a little funny too because my last name is not a traditional black American last name. And whilst all of this seems frivolous or it seems like I'm oversharing, these are all very important details because they have helped shape my story and my journey. And my journey as someone who's now 26 has been far from perfect. It's still far from perfect. And sometimes I wonder if I'm ever going to be able to get it together. While growing up in Bloomington, I had interest in white men because I never really seen, outside of my household, I never really seen black men and only knew the black community to be a lot like what I saw on TV. A lot of those stereotypes. And while I had the opportunity to go to a predominantly black church and church conferences and to make friends in the black community, it was still hard for me to understand that the black community is not a monolith. Just like I had to understand that the Nigerian community is not a monolith. None of the communities are a monolith. That was hard. But like I said, my experiences shaped my preferences. So much so that I only thought that I would be accepted by white men. I only thought that anyone that would be interested in me was a white man. And this came at around the age of 12 when I was going to middle school and I saw all of my white friends with this brunette hair, blonde hair, and their hair was far from kinky and they were fairly small. All of them had great relationships. All of the guys wanted them. However, the boys never looked at me and I thought, well, maybe it's because I'm not white or maybe it's because my hair doesn't look like this or maybe if I were to lose 80 pounds, I would be more accepted. So I had a very unhealthy relationship with food. I would sometimes not eat throughout the day and then hide food under my bed and binge at night. Also, my relationship with the idea of love and other relationships was just as unhealthy to the point that I even started catfishing people before catfishing was a thing. And here's a 12-year-old not understanding the implications of it. 
But just knowing, well, if I send a different picture on one of these like kid sites, you know, or those chatting sites like IMVU, which is not a kid site, but I snuck onto it or Club Penguin or something. Those were opportunities for me to feel accepted for once. I could create these avatars where I looked more like what I thought was acceptable. And then if they got to know me, they would just like me. But I just had to look a little different. And when my parents found out what were what was going on and my siblings too, they really reprimanded me and I know it was to keep me safe. But I look back and I wonder, why didn't anyone see that this was a plea for help? I was only in middle school and for so many years I carried the shame of having done this. But now as a 26-year-old, I think about I was just a child. And having worked with youth at that age, I understand that they don't always know their actions or the impact of their actions or how it affects them or how it's wrong. And I didn't know that. But I wonder too, why no one ever asked me why I did it or what was the reasoning or they didn't dig a little deeper. And so for over a decade, I've been forced to carry this pain um, of shame and guilt and embarrassment but not understanding, oh, well, that that shame was also piled on top of not feeling accepted. My first year of high school, my family moved to Illinois, and there were a lot more people of color than I had seen, especially black people, so much so that when I moved to another predominantly white town, college town, and I saw that there were there was a higher percentage of black people people. I called my siblings and said, oh, this is like an HBCU. (laughs) And I really felt like there were a lot more black people. I felt that it was a predominantly black school. And I'm very wrong. I was very, very, very wrong. But even going to undergrad with even more black students, And now I'm being introduced to different cultures, understanding that the black culture is not a monolith. Rather, there are just, there's just so much. There's so much diversity there. There's so much diversity in experiences and um, looks and in every way possible. And that's where I was able to learn and embrace a little more of who I am. I was able to be proud to be a black woman. And I, yeah, I took pride in that. I was so excited that that was, that was okay. It was okay to feel like that. And it was also okay to be heavier because curves were accepted. It was okay that my hips were larger and that felt great to me, but still I was missing a piece of my identity because I was missing the Nigerian American piece. So I had learned what it meant to be black, quote unquote, or to be around more black people. But what about the Nigerian piece? So I just swept that under the rug for a while because my black friends would make fun of me and some of the things that I would do or wear because, you know, and they would say, oh, you know, she comes from a Nigerian American home. So, you know, Africans are a little weird (laughs) and they didn't know either. 
it wasn't that they meant that with any malice, but they just did not know. Fast forward um, all of these years, because this is just only a little bit of my experience, but 2020 was a year that was incredibly hard for me. And it had pushed me in so many ways, but I'll also say that it might be one of the most beautiful years. Life was going very well in so many ways. I was learning more about myself. I was finding confidence, but I had also gone to therapy and that helped. And I got so comfortable with that life. I had started developing very meaningful friendships. I was in a great relationship. I was mending a lot of relationships with my family members. And then I had graduated. Well, I was about to graduate, but then 2021 came around. And in that summer of 2021, I was so grateful just for the growth that I had experienced. I worked through a lot of the past traumas that came from feeling marginalized within my own home and also within every community that I lived in. And I felt accepted for who I was. Then (laughs) my life changed. It was turned upside down because I unexpectedly lost my mother. My mom was my spiritual advisor, my best friend. And I really mean she saw me as a best friend because she would say, you know, now that I don't have to parent you in the way that I had to when you were younger, I really see you as a best friend of mine. And she was also a spiritual mentor. So my mom was a pastor, but she was so special because she was able to understand that We aren't able to be perfect and we have to live life in order to learn. She wasn't always a Christian. She was an atheist at one point. And she became a believer after giving birth to me. Early on in my mom's pregnancy, her and my father were told to abort me because the doctors were nearly 100% sure that I would not live past six hours of my birth. Well, they didn't think I would even make it. My my mother would even be able to give birth. However, if she was even able to make it to the point by some crazy miracle where she could even give birth to me, I wouldn't live past six hours. So she happened to be talking to someone who's now my godmother about the decision that her and my dad had to make. And my father said that they absolutely were not going to abort me because he grew up Catholic and that was against his religion. But my mom's best friend told her to really consider keeping me because it could be a tough life for me and it could be tough on my parents to um, just deal with all of that. So my godmother, who was a stranger to my parents at the time, invited my mom to church and said, uh, at, during service, we'll pray for you. We'll lay hands on you and pray for you. And my dad said, no, that is witchcraft. 
we're not going. But my mom went anyways, and they prayed for me. And then fast forward some months, here came a perfectly healthy baby girl by the name of Brandy. And it's also funny because I was named after a beverage (laughs) on the Red Lobster menu, which was a Brandy Alexander drink. And my name is Brandy Alexandra. So it's, I always laugh that a pastor had named me. (laughs) Well, I mean, she wasn't a believer then, but, um, yeah, it's just funny that a pastor has a daughter that's named after alcohol, but getting back on track, um, What was interesting was when I came out perfectly healthy, my mom wondered, who is this God? Who is this God that would spare us and that would give me a beautiful gift even if I didn't believe in him? So her journey was committed to learning who God was And then spreading that word, but doing it in a way that was not judgmental and more informative, not coming from a place of assumptions, rather leading with curiosity. And that's so special to me because that's how she mothered me. So she would always tell me to live my life. She'd say, baby girl, live your life. Stop trying to have it all figured out. Stop trying to be so perfect. Why are you so afraid to fail? What have I done to make you feel like you can't fail? And she would say, one thing that you'll know is your dad and I aren't always going to agree with the decisions that you make, but you need to learn to disappoint us because we're not always right. And that didn't make sense to me because I always saw them as right (laughs) most of the time. And she would always remind me, when going through a tough time, she would remind me of this story of how I came to be. And she would say, this is how you know that you have purpose. And that didn't, I didn't understand that. And I didn't understand because I struggled with depression for all of my life. Even in middle school and high school, I I just, you know, I was bullied a lot. I struggled with self-image. I or with body image. It was a tough time for me. So when people say, oh, I wish I could go back to high school, I am the one who says, absolutely not. I don't wish that. Now, if you say college, I would be willing to go back to college because that was one of the best times of my life. So losing my mom was big for me, especially because it wasn't expected. And within that same month, I also was going through a breakup with someone that was my best friend. And it didn't make sense to me how life could be so good and then in the blink of an eye be so horrible to the point where I was fighting to get out of bed every day. I didn't have a will to live. And that also made me really grapple with my faith. That was a really big thing for me because, you know, I'm far from perfect, but I just kept wondering what I did wrong. And so I blamed myself for my mom's death. I blamed myself for my breakup. I blamed myself for not 
having the job that I wanted to have or um, getting the salary that I wanted to get. I blamed myself for the rain, you know, like I just started blaming myself for everything. And that was also the time where I realized that life is not pretty. There is no line in the sand that we can draw where the pain that we go through just, you know, prevents other pain from happening. It can all just be piled on. But one of the most convicting things that people said to me while reaching out and checking on me after losing my mom was, I've never seen you so down. And it's scary. And that was a lot of feedback that people would give me is, I want to be there for you, but I don't know how to because you're always so positive. You don't talk about what you're really going through. You give enough for people not to be suspicious about the fact that you're not sharing, but you don't share. And so this is the first time ever I'm ever seeing you vulnerable. And that struck because I was like, wait a minute, I'm always vulnerable with you. But I thought about it and I really wasn't. Not in a genuine way where I would call my friends crying in the middle of the night or saying that I had a bad day. Because if I shared that I had a bad day, I would follow up with, well, it's going to be fine. You know, it's, it's going to work out. I'm sure of it. Or, and that's just how I dealt with it. And it wasn't because I didn't trust anyone. Rather, it was because I didn't feel that my voice mattered or that my, that my circumstances mattered, that my pain mattered. So just like I don't, when I'm talking to my friends, you know, about how my day went and I don't always say, oh, well, today I washed my hands and I went to the grocery store. I also don't talk about pain because that's how I see pain is it's just a part of life. Well, that's how I saw it. But also while they were giving me this feedback, they shared that it had been hard for them to open up to me in deeper ways because it felt uncomfortable to try to share with someone that wasn't reciprocating that same vulnerability and transparency. And that really, really convicted me. And it's something I brought up to my therapist about wanting to work on. But it was funny because my therapist said, well, we haven't even talked about your mom or your breakup. And you've been, I've been working, I've been working with you for three months. And this all happened three months ago. And we haven't talked about that. And I was like, well, then what have we been talking about? Because (laughs) I feel like that's all I talk about. I feel like that's what I obsess about. And it wasn't. I guess I still want to know what we were talking about, but I realized that I was missing out on healing and meaningful friendships by closing myself off, by shutting down and giving the answer that I thought people wanted to hear, by trying to spare them the pain that I was suffering Or having to sit through listening to me cry. That really bruised the meaningful friendships in my life. 
So then I started making an effort to share when I was having a tough time, to reach out and ask for someone to be a friend to me when I needed a friend. And it felt very uncomfortable and hard and it didn't happen overnight. But what did happen in that process of working to be more vulnerable and sharing my story and sharing my pain was my relationships became more meaningful. And I even learned that a lot of the insecurities that I have, a lot of the things that I go through, a lot of the shame that I carry is not unique to my life, but it's actually really common. And that was mind blowing to me because for 26 years, I have been walking around, keeping things in, internalizing them and stripping myself of the opportunity of having meaningful relationships that are mutually beneficial because while I was comfortable with not being vulnerable in the way that people are trying to get me to be, I also was very drained spiritually and emotionally because I felt as if I'm always there for others, but people don't think about me. They always tend to overlook me. They tend to invalidate my feelings or the pain that I was experiencing. And I didn't understand why until my friends were willing to be honest with me and say, you know, I want to be there for you, but I don't know how because you haven't let me in the past. And that's also made it hard for me to trust you in the way of opening up to you and not seeing you as just basically a mentor, but seeing you as a friend. So through these conversations that I would have with them when both of us were being vulnerable or all of us were being vulnerable, I saw that the similarities were our experiences may be so different, but the pain and the uncertainty that we're experiencing is so similar. And people don't need to have the exact same identity as you to understand. But if we allow ourselves to isolate and to push others away, then we miss out on beautiful things. In that same breath, I also had to learn how to let things happen naturally. As soon as my mom died, uh, I just needed a plan of how I was going to get through this. I had to compartmentalize. I had to get back to work. Life had to keep going because I didn't want to stop. Life had to keep going after my breakup because I didn't want to stop. And I didn't want to talk about it. So I just pushed it to the back of my mind and I would have these just episodes of anger and I'm usually not an angry person so it didn't make sense to me where I would just black out and just feel these this rage that would take over my body and I would have to sit down because my breathing would be funny and I told my therapist no we listen we really need to get through this because this is unacceptable i'm so angry i don't know what it is you need to fix it we have to fix it and my therapist asked me well why what's wrong with being angry and i was like well it's anger you shouldn't be angry and then in that session i actually unpacked that i didn't understand 
that emotions aren't bad. Any emotion outside of happiness is not bad, but it's actually a journey to healing. And it took a while to understand that and to really process that and to live it. It was hard, but it was also one of the most freeing things was knowing that I didn't have to fix everything. And I said to my therapist, you know, I don't understand why I'm not over it. I mean, I know that that was my mom and that's my best friend and it sucks, but like life is going on and it's been forever. My therapist reminded me that it had only been 90 days or no, it hadn't even been 90 days. And that I was trying to throw away or ignore, I don't want to say throw away, I was trying to ignore the fact that 26 years of beautiful memories with my mom and about three and a half years of beautiful memories with the guy that I was dating were not just memories that you could get rid of. Rather, I had to learn how to honor them and honor them in a way where shame didn't dictate what I felt or how I viewed those situations. Rather, I was able to acknowledge the pain that came with them, but also the beauty and the joy that came from them. I was grieving two different situations, well, actually maybe three different situations in my life because I was also unhappy with where I was at career-wise. I had to fight to get out of bed a lot of days. And I thought that that was just a term that people used when they said that life felt heavy and they didn't feel like they could get out of bed, but I really, I, I get it now. I had to fight and I didn't understand why I was still living when everything was just coming apart. Everything was falling apart in more ways than one. Why was I still here and what kind of God would make me go through such a thing? And then I started to realize that my pain is also pain that so many others are experiencing. And it may not be because the loss of a loved one. It may not be because of a breakup. It may not be because of the loss of a job. But whatever that reason is, they still feel certain things. And while I don't want to say that it was comforting to know that people are in pain, it was comforting to know that there's not some glitch. There's not something wrong with me and me alone, but there are answers. And the answer is embracing the journey. The answer is building and being a part of community. The answer is working through that pain. And then continuously telling your story so that you can inspire others. That's why I was still here. And it hit me that my very odd story of how I came to be and the fact that, you know, 
I, I beat the odds. Literally, I wasn't supposed to be living. I beat the odds. That meant that my life had a purpose. And just like I believe that everyone else has a purpose, I had to start believing that I had a purpose. And it was time for me to stop being so ashamed of who I was. It was time for me to stop carrying the insecurities of not being able to blend in with one community. Rather, it was time to embrace that and celebrate that because that is beautiful. And I think about my nieces, my nephews, the young people I mentor, my friends and my family. And I don't want them to ever think that they have to be ashamed of who they are or their experiences, their mistakes. I want them to know that they should be proud, that they should have pride in who they were created to be, who the decisions that they've made have helped them become. Because even if these were undesirable decisions or decisions that got them in trouble, they learned something from it. So while scrolling on the internet and, you know, just thinking about, I don't know, I forgot what I was Googling. I Googled the craziest things. And it's always comforting to see that, you know, that autofill will complete the term that I'm Googling, even if I'm like, no one will ever wonder this. I'm not going to find anything. And then there were thousands and thousands of results of people asking the same questions. But I came across an article that shared researchers had discovered that people have identified the second half of their 20s as the worst time of their life. And I was like, wait. (laughs) And then they started talking about some of the factors that may contribute to this dissatisfaction. And some things that they talked about were that oftentimes that's when people begin to live alone and they live alone for the first time and it's something they've been waiting for, but then they find out how incredibly lonely it is. I found another article that talked about, you know, people get to a point where they may have gotten a degree or finished a program, but they don't have the job that they wanted. They're not making the money that they wanted to make or that they dreamed that they would be making. So then they start to question everything else. They start to think about whether the relationship they're in is actually a right fit. Then they end the relationship and they're unhappy then too. They also discussed the fact that the onset of depression is getting younger and younger so before there was a midlife crisis but the quarter life crisis is now the thing and it's very real and that shocked me because when I used to have Twitter and I would just look at the tweets the you know funny tweets about oh quarter life crisis and everyone's laughing about it I didn't realize that it was actually a thing and Now I look back and realize that a lot of those tweets and jokes are rooted in truth and pain, but I was unable to see that. So I was like, oh my gosh, people are really going through things too. I'm not the only one who doesn't have it figured out. 
my most dreaded question that my mentors ask me or that they ask me in interviews sometimes is, where do you see yourself in five years? And I cannot tell you. I really honestly do not know. And some people look at me as if I am the most irresponsible human being. But if I'm being honest, because, you know, I'm working on that whole vulnerability thing and transparency, I'm almost afraid to plan for the future sometimes because look where that's gotten me. That's my thought process of, yeah, when I planned before, I thought that I was going to be married by now and maybe have one and a half children in a beautiful home and be a gazillionaire. But that's not where I am. (laughs) And that's okay. I'm learning that that's okay. And it doesn't mean that I didn't or that I didn't, you know, do what I was supposed to do. It doesn't mean that I didn't set the right goals. It doesn't mean that I just was horrible. Dave Ramsey thinks that I'm a failure just because I haven't paid off all of my student debt. But it means that life is real and unexpected and you can't always plan for everything, but you can do things that will make life feel a little easier. You can do things that will help you tell your story. You can learn ways to embrace who you are. You can learn ways to love yourself in unimaginable ways because people come and go, opportunities come and go, jobs come and go. That's a part of life and that's a part of the learning process. But what's so important is to know and to understand that you are valuable. If you're still here, you're here for a reason and we need your story. We need to know more about who you are. We need to know how you got through it or what you're going through now because I promise you that your story will inspire others. Your story means something. We see, you know, large corporations marketing to us. They talk about having a brand and this it's this manufactured brand. But some of the most successful companies come from the most authentic brands. The most successful companies come from a founder who had a dream to make the world a better place or to create a product that would make people's lives a little easier. And they didn't lose sight of that dream or that vision. They embraced it. And they used their experiences and their their stories to help people understand the meaning and the importance behind their brand. But what I'm finding is who we are, our stories, our decisions, what we've gone through in life, that is our brand. And that brand is so beautiful because it's unique to who we are. I could meet another Nigerian-American 26-year-old woman who grew up in a similar household and had similar experiences and has the same birthday, but her brand is so different because her mind is so different. What she's gone through, how she views the world is so different. And that's why it's so important for us to exist in a community where we are accepted, where we don't feel like we have to have it all together. 
For those of you who do have a five-year plan, I love that for you. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But there should also be a space where you can engage with people who don't have a five-year plan. Because of what I've learned in my journey of self-discovery and building community and existing in communities that are meaningful and full of meaningful relationships is that our experiences inform one another. By you sharing your story or by me sharing my story, it could solve someone's problem or it could encourage them or inspire them to start their own podcast or to open up their own business or to start their own nonprofit. It could inspire someone to get the help that they need, just like other stories have inspired me to get the help that I need. I love Googling when I'm bored. And something that I would often Google when I was trying to wrap my mind around what was going on was lost my mom and going through a breakup at the same time. Because in those moments, I would feel like that was only me. And it was so fascinating to see all of these stories online, bloggers and other people reaching out for help, sharing their stories and their pain and their wins and their losses, because it was always amazing to see what they did with it or the perspective that they had with it. And that helped me reach the acceptance stage of grief. It helped me understand that, whoa, this does not feel good at all. And I don't know why I made the the decisions that I made and the mistakes that I made, but now I'm suffering and I don't know how to get out. Because what happened was I started to reframe my thinking. I started to understand that, okay, I'm not being targeted by God. He actually does love me. He's not always going to draw a line in the sand and say, well, the pain stops here. But he's going to take the bad in the world and take the decisions that I've made that are poor and use them for my good. And even if you don't believe that there is a God, that's okay. But I do want you to know that those decisions that you're making, you made them And you're going to live with it, but you're going to grow from it. You're going to fail forward. You're going to push forward. I know you are because if I can do it, and I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but if I can do it, then you can too. A good friend of mine had suggested that I start a podcast and I laughed because I was like, that's a horrible idea. I don't have anything to say. And no, you know, who wants to listen to me talk about my story? And one day I was having a really rough day and I had to go to an event and was running late. So I called an Uber and I get in the Uber and my headphones died. So I couldn't listen to my um, music anymore. And I heard this man, he was playing some radio station that it was a Christian radio station that made me roll my eyes because it sounded really corny. (laughs) But I listened and there was a woman on there talking about her story and the the radio host had said, you know, last time we had you on here, you were going through X. And now we want to get an update. And she said, you know, that was a really tough time. And she then she talked about how she actually was able to find peace and healing and resolution. And that 
that changed my whole perspective on my situation in that day. And I was like, oh my goodness, this lady was talking about something that has nothing to do with what I'm going through and I cannot relate. But what she just shared touched me and helped me out. And then she was brave enough to share that story. And I've thought about all of the times I've been too afraid to share my story, not just through a a podcast, but even, you know, through the poetry I write or or conversations that I've had or times when people have asked me for advice and I didn't want to incriminate myself um, by sharing some of the crazy mistake or the crazy decisions I made. So I kept my mouth shut or I didn't want to embarrass myself. So I kept my mouth shut. And that's not what we're called to do. So I said, okay, I'm going to start this podcast because I have something to say. And that's what was put on my heart. And I thought this is absolutely ridiculous, but I feel led to do it. So I'm going to do it. And so here we are. And it's funny because I had actually shared an episode with someone and the piece of feedback that he gave me was basically to be more transparent and vulnerable. I have been putting off the release of this podcast because some of the episodes are a little too raw for my comfort. And I told him, oh my gosh, I don't know, you know, but what he said affirmed that, wow, I'm talking about transparency and being genuine, but here I am still afraid to do it in the way that I know I'm supposed to do it. And he even said, you know, I don't want the episodes to sound like you just have it all figured out, but walk me through how you got there, the journey that you took to get there. And I was like, you want to hear that? No one wants to hear that. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's when I connect most with someone. And I thought about why am I trying to do a podcast that checks off all of these boxes. Rather, why don't I just do it in the way that I would, given the reason that I started it? I started it because I wanted to share. I wanted to be candid. I wanted to share my experiences, my mistakes, my wins, my um, I don't knows, because I have a lot of question marks in my life. And I will, I want to introduce a lot of the people that have impacted my life and help me come to make some decisions or that have talked me through tough and very dark times. And now here I am. And that's what brand I is. Brand I is the understanding that you are the brand. Your life is your brand and your brand matters. Your life matters. Who you are matters and your story matters. All of it. So brand, I actually, the name came from when I was a little girl. I was walking home from the bus stop. I was in middle school, actually during the time where I was, you know, making avatars that looked like white women so that men would want to talk to me. And I said, okay, when I grow up, I'm going to start a nonprofit called Brand I. And that's going to be 
so that I can help youth that feel like how I feel. When I'm an adult and I have it figured out and I've lost all this weight and I have a husband and someone who loves me, then I'm going to help students and youth that feel the way I feel. And I want to instill confidence in them. The confidence that I've never had the strength or the courage to have. I want to instill purpose in them. I want them to know that they are a brand and that they matter because oftentimes the emphasis is put on everything except for the I. The emphasis is put on our mistakes, our wins, our possessions, but it's never put on who we really are without all of that. And being stripped of some of the most beautiful things has really forced me to learn about the I and Brandy. It's really forced me to really get to know myself and fall in love with myself. Because I thought about, wow, I know how to love people. One thing I will say is I know how to be good to others. I know how to make them feel special. But why can't I do that for myself? Why don't I know how to love myself in the way that I tell my friends that they deserve to be loved? And that's something I've learned in therapy is if I am not able to be compassionate to myself because of a lot of the things that I experience or the skewed misconception of who I am, then why don't I talk to myself as if I'm somebody I know has the utmost love and respect for me? And what would they say? So I chose my mom. And I thought about, wow, I really am just so unhappy with my life right now. And I'm unhappy with these decisions and this job that I have. And like, look where I'm at. So I paused and thought about what would my mom say? And oftentimes when I think about what my parents would say, I'm like, they say it because they're my parents and they, they feel like they have to say it, you know, and they feel proud that they have this offspring. So here's what they would tell me. So then I would adopt that voice and use it as my own. And what I would do is, since it was my mom's voice, I'd say, baby girl, look at how far you've come. This is someone who almost flunked out of high school and now, like, look at where you're at. This is someone who didn't believe that she could get into grad school and you graduated. This is someone who thought that they were not worth anything and that they were incapable of leading a healthier lifestyle. And look where you're at. Okay, so you made a mistake. Congratulations. You finally learned that you don't have to be a perfectionist okay, so life isn't going in the way that you want you want it to. And that's okay. You tried your hardest. And maybe that's not the path for you. Or maybe you just have to practice at developing that skill that you want to develop. Okay. You don't have the relationship that you really valued anymore. And that's okay. Because what's meant to be will always be. And also... You have so much to learn from those experiences. You're not going to be alone forever just because things didn't seem to work out with 
a couple of men in your life. There are so many more men in the world. So I could keep going, but that's an example of how I adopted my mom's voice. And then I was, it was, it started to become me talking to me. So by me leaning on those important people in my village in a time of need, even if she wasn't physically there here on this earth to tell me, what I learned from what she contributed to my village is something that I can carry with me forever. What I learned from my friends and my family in my village and in those communities I've been in, even when I wasn't as vulnerable as I could be, those are things that will help me get through the tough times. Community is so important. Vulnerability is so important. Self-love is so important. And brand I, that's what it's all about. You can't have village without I. You can't have healing without I. I is in so many words and you are important. You're in so many spaces. You're needed. You're loved. Even if it doesn't feel like it. And your decisions That's okay if they're not perfect. You're bigger than those because the I is bigger than that. So that is what Brand I is. Brand I is a movement, an urge for everyone to understand that their story is so beautiful, even if it doesn't look the way that they want it to, and it matters. And I want... My hope, my, my, my true hope is that this can be a place where we have conversations, inspiring conversations that are rooted in truth and love and honesty and vulnerability. Conversations that inspire people to be who they want to be or do what they've been wanting to do to fulfill their life's mission, whatever that looks like. So during this time, like I said, I'm going to be having conversations with people that have been very meaningful in my life. But I'm also going to be sharing parts of my journey in hopes that you'll respond and you'll share parts of your journey with me in hopes that you will ask questions, share insight, because I don't want this to be a podcast where every episode you just listen to me talk or listen to someone who's an expert or maybe not an expert talk. But I want it to be a place where it just gets the conversation going. It gets the conversation started. I have about three years left in my 20-somethings because I'm about to be 27. And these 20s are so beautiful. I do not want to let go of them, but they've also been hard. And while this is for individuals in their 20s who don't feel that they have it all figured out, it's for anyone, anyone who doesn't feel that they have it all figured out, anyone who wants to be a part of the discourse. So what I have found is even the development of this podcast is a journey in itself. Because I have some friends who 
you know, look at my vision and they say, well, you know, here's what you need to do. You need to have this or you need to make me your co-host for every episode because no one just wants to listen to one person or to gain a bigger following, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And honestly, I don't care about the following. I care about building relationships and having conversations with people who are looking for that same thing, with people who are looking for community, people who are looking to go on this journey called life together. And this podcast is not going to be me giving any answers or anything, but it's going to be us talking about what's worked and what hasn't worked personally for us, because what may work for you may not work for me and vice versa. But it's just all about learning how to embrace our decisions and supporting one another and loving one another. So I'm going to work to share my story in the way that I hope others will share their stories. So thank you so much for tuning in, truly. And at the beginning or end of every episode, I will share a question of the week and a quote of the week. The first quote of the week ever is a quote by yours truly, aka me, and it's the motto for this podcast, which is your life, your brand. And I actually have two questions for you this week, and they are, what scares you the most right now? And what is something about you that you find inspiring? So what scares you the most right now? And what's something about yourself that you find inspiring? Oh, I will also be providing a song for the week. And this song, this week's song is Born Tired by Janae Aiko. Chilombo was an album that I listened to repeatedly through 2021. That was just on repeat. But the song Born Tired is the song of the week. Next week, we'll be talking about self-love and ways in which we can practice self-care while still maintaining happiness and working towards our goals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I would love to hear your responses to the question of the week or just any response to this episode in general. Or if you'd like to share a song with me or questions that you would like to be featured in upcoming episodes, you can DM me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Brandy Thank you so much for tuning in.